Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. A few weeks ago, I was in a discussion with a few brethren, and a question came up. How do we know whether one is a Christian? And someone within the group answered promptly and said, well, it's wrong to judge whether others are Christians. So we, it's not our business to know whether one is a Christian. And the point I want to bring out today in a sermon is to ask the question, is this true? Is it true that we ought not to know whether people who claim to be Christians are Christians? And in fact, I have titled the sermon today, How Do We Know the Difference Between True and False Christianity? Now, at first it may not seem very appealing to you, a subject such as this, But it is important for us to understand why this question is important. The scriptures actually teach that there are two brands of Christianity in the world. True and false. It not only teaches that, but it warns us that we must be able to discern what is true from what is false. Why? Because if we can't, then we can be easily led astray. We just don't know what is true, what is false. So whatever comes our way, we grab onto it. And so Jesus and the apostles made it emphatically clear that we must be able to discern that which is true and that which is false we actually risk our faith when we are lackluster, when we are complacent, when we are not thoughtful about whether what is being purported to be Christian, whether it is or is not. Turn with me to Matthew 24 and verse 4 and listen to the warning given by Jesus in this verse, speaking to his disciples, he said, watch out that no one deceives you. Watch out. Implied in that command or that warning is the possibility that one can be deceived by others. So he says, watch out that no one deceives you. There are people in the world that can deceive you. And it is your duty to watch out to ensure that that does not happen. Then he continues in verse 5. He says, for many will come in my name. Coming in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Not coming in the name of some foreign God. Coming in the name of Jesus Christ. Many will come in my name. What are they coming to do? In order to give you the truth? He said, claiming, I am Christ. Meaning that Jesus is Christ. So they're claiming, and that is true. They will come in Jesus' name and say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus will soon return. They will come in his name. And they will acknowledge him as Jesus Christ. What he says, and will deceive many. How can it be that one is coming in the name of Jesus, proclaiming Jesus Christ, and yet in so doing can deceive? What we learn from this is that those who Jesus is speaking about here are persons who come in his name, not in the name of Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, or any other form of person that promote someone else outside of Christ. And that is why this counterfeit. We have to understand how counterfeit works. When the Bible talks about false or counterfeit Christianity, it is saying to us, look, what is going to be presented to you is going to have in many respects the marks of that which is true. So take, for example, a counterfeit dollar. A counterfeit dollar will not come, someone's not going to present to you a piece of brown paper and say this is a dollar. That's not how it works. A counterfeit dollar is going to have the exact size of a real dollar. It's going to have the exact color of a real dollar. It's going to have the writing and the pictures and, and everything that makes it look like a real dollar. It is a very slight mark that makes the difference. So that in order to determine whether this is counterfeit, the, the cashier or whoever is not going to just look at it and say, I think this is counterfeit, or I wonder if this is counterfeit. The cashier is going to test it. And usually, nowadays, they have a little light. I don't know if it's an infrared or one of those lights. That they simply put it under. And it is when it is put under the light that the, the falseness of it is shown up. That's what the Word of God is all about. That is the light that we use in order to detect what is true and what is counterfeit. There's a method to it. And we must all, as God's people, come to that consciousness, that realization that there is a counterfeit form of Christianity in the world. Turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 4. Here is the Apostle Paul speaking. And even from then, from his time, they were already concerned. He says here, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, because that's what it is. 
account, when, when one comes and they are they're preaching and they're coming in the name of Jesus, although they're utilizing the name Jesus and the name Jesus Christ and so on, it can be another, it can be a counterfeit whom ye have not, we have not preached. Or if you receive a different spirit, because there are spirits and spirits with power that can be received that are counterfeit. So you cannot say because, oh, I see some, some, some supernatural power here. It means, oh, well, this has to be God. They come with another spirit, which you have not received. It is another spirit, apart from the spirit of God which you have received. And you must be able to test the spirits to see whether they are of God. The scripture commands us. Or a different gospel, which you have not accepted. There is a gospel that is preached that does not belong to God. It is not God's gospel. But it is preached. And then look at these words that Paul remarked. You may well put up with it. You may well put up with it. You know, although you have heard the real gospel, met the real Jesus, and received the real spirit, you may be so swayed and you may be so taken aback that you're willing to put up with it. And that is what is happening in the church of God today. A lot of people are willing to put up with it. They're willing to say, okay, don't bother. Why are you judging? Why, why? Just allow. Let, it, let, us, let us work with it. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want us to put up with it. So how do you distinguish between the real Jesus and the other Jesus? The real spirit and the other spirit. The real gospel and the other gospel. How do you know? Is it important? Because one is true and one is false. And a true believer will want to know the difference. We need each to know the difference. Well, how do we know? The Bible portrays both the true and the false, the counterfeit brand of Christianity. And these two brands in the scriptures are symbolically portrayed to us by way of two women. Why? Because the church is the bride of Christ. So the church is portrayed in a female context. Christ is the husband man, as noted in the prayer given by Father Adrian. And the genuine brand of Christianity is portrayed in Revelation 12. It is portrayed as a bride who is a virgin, who is virtuous, 
And you can read about that in Revelation chapter 12. The counterfeit brand is revealed in Revelation 17. You can know more about the counterfeit brand of Christianity in the world. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me, please, to Revelation 17. And let us take a closer look at this particular brand. Verses 1 to 2 says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowels came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute. Now notice, these are two symbolically women, and this one is identified as a prostitute, an idolater, someone who is impure, someone who is ungodly. And it says, who sits on many waters, the symbol water is utilized in the scripture to represent peoples. So it sits on many peoples. In other words, it has a great population in the earth of followers, of persons who support that system. Then verse 5, well, let's not go there yet. Then we are seeing here, it says, verse 2, With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. She has great political power. This particular brand of Christianity has great relationships and influence in the earth, not only religiously, but politically. And it says here, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. In other words, her teachings. People were drinking in, taking in the teachings, and were intoxicated with it. They were on a high. They were... Enjoying her teachings. They, and they liked her practices. They liked her festivals. They liked her worship methods. They liked the whole decor of her worship system. And they followed it. And in verse 5, if you step down there, you see here a full description of her. It says, this title was written on her forehead. Mystery. Mystery. People can't quite figure it out. <clears throat> but she is such a figure that many people gravitate to her. She excites the minds of people. 
she presents herself piously. She makes herself into a caring kind of motherly person. She's called Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes. She is a prostitute and she has daughters. She's a mother. So there are many like her. She is the one out of whom they came. Which means that apart from the large mother with all these influences are many daughters that came out of her. The mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. So, this particular imagery is given to us. Now, it is for us that our God has given this to us to say, look, now you need you need to be able to identify this woman. You need to be able to identify her daughters. And you need to know that this is a woman that does not represent the church. Even though she is strongly religious. We have long, as a church, identified and taught that this represents the Catholic Church in every respect. This is the body that fits the descriptors here. But some may say, you know what? You are doing this because you know, you are you just falsely accusing or you, you just want yourself to look good. And so it is important that we step outside of the teachings of the Church of God about this woman and to look at what can be regarded as objective, scholarly, observation of who she is. You may say because we observe Sabbath and the Catholic Church is Sunday keeping. You know, you just want to make them that person. Or because you keep these biblical festivals and they keep all these other festivals which you know came out of the pagan world, so you're trying to make the contrast. Well, I want you to know that within the very movement of the Sunday-keeping world, that there are credible scholars who are doing their work, who have come up with the very analogy, the very understanding that we have in the Church of God. I refer you to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, which is a scholarly work done by 
the evangelical movement. Evangelicals, as you know, are not Sabbath keepers. They don't keep the feasts. All that they're doing, they're looking and they're trying themselves to identify who could this be. And here's what they have come up with. If you look there for the uh, reference to the prostitute and the the, um, reference made of Babylon in the book of Revelation, look for that subject in this International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Here's what it says. It says, the characteristics ascribed to this Babylon apply to Rome rather than to any other city of that age. A. As ruling over the kings of the earth. Revelation 17.18 B. As sitting on seven mountains. Revelation 17.9 C. As the center of the world's merchandise. Revelation 18.3 And also verses 11 to 13. D, as the corrupter of the nations, Revelation 17, 2. E, as the persecutor of the saints, Revelation 17, 6. Clearly identified within the Sunday-keeping world. To date, there is no other movement on the earth that can be identified as better fitting this role than the Catholic Church. Not only that, what they have not made reference to are the number of daughters that have come out of her. Because up until the time of of Martin Luther, when he founded the Protestant movement, he was a major Catholic priest. But he became dissatisfied with a number of things that were happening within the Catholic Church, which were things such as indulgences, and that you can pray to take out this person's soul out of hell and all these many, many other things. And he protested. But unfortunately, he came out with all of the baggage of pagan beliefs and practices that the Catholic Church had embraced. And so we have to understand that Satan's role in the life of God's people is to create these counterfeit forms in order to deceive and to seduce in order to get people to come in to the satanic world. The Bible is clear. 
that Satan is a counterfeiter. It says in, 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 in uh, first, Second Corinthians 11, 13 to 15, he, he is like an angel of light. An angel of light. The Bible tells us that we are the light of the world. Yet Satan makes himself an angel of light. And therefore he has many counterfeit ministers. We have to understand these things. This is not a matter of judging wrongly. This is a matter of just what the scriptures say. It's what the scriptures say. And we can't take the position because we live in this world of, of you know, being politically correct. We're, we, we don't want to offend. Therefore, we are hands off. That's exactly what the enemy wants. In 2 Corinthians 11.15, it makes reference to him as minister, to, to his ministers as ministers of righteousness. So the, to answer the question as to whether we should judge, it's very important to understand from the scriptures that you are called upon to judge. The very opposite of the view that was expressed is what the Bible says. And if we should come up to that view where we are not to judge, then we are laying ourselves bare and exposed for Satan to intervene and to take control of our lives. Turn with me, please, to 1 John 4 and verse 4. 1 John 4, verse 4 instructs us. Test the spirits to see whether they are of God. You cannot test the spirits by what your eye beholds or the way you feel or the impact you are seeing. To test the spirits whether they are of God, we have to go to the scriptures which Jesus says, thy word is truth. When we want to know truth, it doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from our experiences. It doesn't come from our feelings. It doesn't come from the ideas that are being paraded from various intellectual sources. It comes from the word of God. Test the spirits to see whether they are of God. We see, for example, in Philippians 3, in verse 17. And listen to this. You talk about whether you should judge anyone. These, listen to these words. Spoken by the Apostle Paul. Philippians 3, 17. Take note of those who live according to the pattern given to you by the Apostles. Take note as to whether they live by the pattern. The apostles laid down the pattern that Jesus left and that the scriptures uphold. And we are to take note. So when you look at the person, you can say, well, what is a pattern laid down by the apostles? What is a pattern laid down by Jesus Christ? Is this person living according to the pattern? 
It's a responsibility you have. It's a responsibility I have. The people of God have. And we must be observant about it. We must take note as to whether they live according to the pattern. Revelation 2 and verse 2. Notice how the saints there were able to avoid being deceived by false doctrine. Look at what he says. Speaking of those of uh, in the in the one of the seven churches is speaking of here. He says they tested those who claimed to be apostles. So these were persons who came in and claimed, "Oh, we are apostles. We are we are of Jesus Christ. We are walking according to the pattern of Paul." But it says they tested. That's what we must do. Okay, that's what you have said. But I now have a duty, not only to listen and to accept, but to test. They tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and found them to be false. (laughs) That has to resonate with us. We need to digest that. To what extent do we test to determine whether those who purport to be Christians and of the faith, whether they are true or false? Or do we just say, look, it's none of my business. God knows. Let me leave it alone. That's not the biblical way. That's not God's way. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 15. Here's what it says. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. If you are spiritual, you ought to be judging and making judgments about all things, including the teachings that are offered to you as teachings of God. You and I need to take the time out to know that. See, Christianity is not about just how we feel or what we experience or that we are in the church. That's not it. It is a practicing role. It is like those who have worked to attain a profession, but then you now need to practice that profession. If we profess to be Christians, then we must be practicing Christians. And that practice is both a method of walking in accordance with the rules laid down by God. But also it's a method of learning and growing. Unless we practice, we will not continue to learn and to grow. It's vital 
that we see ourselves as practicing Christians. And if we are spiritual, then we ought to judge all things. Hence, that's what the Bereans did. Although someone in the person of the Apostle Paul went to them, they didn't just stop and say, oh yeah, this guy has to be right. You know why? Because I heard that Jesus had knocked him down, and I heard the whole story about him, and you know, the scales were moved from his eyes, and now he's preaching. So whatever he says, it has to be right. That's not how they did it. Although they knew all of that and they heard about him and they, they knew the history of Paul, here's what happened in Acts 17 and verse 11. They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Paul! Paul! Paul, that if he were to walk in here and we know that this is for true Paul, we would put our Bibles down, put it away, and just listen to him. No. That's not the way. The way is, even if Paul should come to you and say, this is what God wants you to do, you have a responsibility. You have an obligation to look into the scriptures to see whether these things are so. It's the duty of every Christian. So the question remains, how do we settle on the question about who are true Christians and who are not? Are there things that are identifiers of those who are Christians? One may say, oh, well, we know. You must have the Spirit of God. Okay, I agree with you. You're not really seeing the Spirit of God. And I want to tell you this. Don't even tell me about love. I can show you people with love that would make us look so bad. People of other religions. There are some religions that they are so careful. They, they love nature and they love God's creation so much that they don't even kill insects. They don't do things like that. A mosquito comes around and they would... Go away. But they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't dare to hit it. Although I heard, I heard about this one gentleman who is of that faith. And the mosquito came around. And he was doing all of that. But then he felt something biting him in the back of his neck. And he'd be like, this, bam, and killed it. And someone turned to him and said, well, you ought not to. He said, no, 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 that one was a backbiter. So... <laughs> So, <laughs> you know, he had his way of getting out of it. But there's much confusion in our world, even in the church, about who are Christians and who are not. Even in the church. Who are Christians and who are not? 
And why is this? Why is this? One of the major reasons is this. That the word Christian in our world is used generically to include everybody who say, I believe in Jesus Christ. So no matter where the person comes from, the world understands the word Christianity to be everyone who acknowledges Jesus Christ. So, we are caught in a kind of a dilemma because that's what is Christian to the world. So, how do the people of God differentiate from that general crowding of people who we are all Christians? Because in a sense, it is true if you should say, well, we're all Christians because we all believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he's the Savior of the world. And, you know, therefore, it's a general term that is used. So is there any way that the Bible sort of gives us the distinction? Because already we know that the Bible does not regard everyone as Christian. Jesus said, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? And he will turn to them and say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Consider that today. The average person seeing someone casting out demons. The average person. And you're looking on and you say, wow, this is it. Wow, wow, what is this? This is interesting. And the person prophesies. And within a short period of time, it happened. You think, wait, don't you remember when that gentleman said, I know the year is happening. This has to be God. I have proof. I need nothing else. This is proof. Jesus didn't say to the person, look, you didn't, you didn't do it in my name. You weren't using my name. He didn't say that. They were using his name. So, what we have to understand is you're going to see supernatural things occurring right before your eyes and my eyes. And we have to know, and that is why this is important for us to talk about. It's no use me talking about this when it has happened, because people are already swayed. It's best for us when we're, well, okay, we're not yet swayed, for us to talk about it. And to say, that is going to happen. Be ready for it. Be prepared for it. Understand that it is coming. And let us not just sit and it comes and it overwhelms us. We have to be that ready. So it is not all who say that they, are, they belong to Christ that belongs to Christ. That is something, if we need to discuss that, let's discuss it. Let me repeat it. It is not all who say they belong to Christ 
that truly belong to him. The fact that someone comes and says, you know what? I love Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. So many things, so many things. You have to look and say, what does the Bible say are the things I must look for? Things that I'm able to discern or see that would help me to know whether this person is a Christian. And it is only to the scriptures that we can go. So, how do you know who is a Christian? The scriptures make it clear that God's people are a peculiar people. They are unlike any other people. They are a peculiar people. And God uses a particular descriptor to describe those who are his. He calls them from the Old Testament into the New Testament. <clears throat> he uses the word saints. Now, I know the Catholics have utilized that word too, but in a completely different manner. They're not using it for the regular Catholic follower. They use it for some people who they think are in heaven with Mary and, you know, they have become these saints. But what does a biblical saint look like? How do you know God's saints? Turn with me to Revelation 14 and verse 12. And it makes it clear here it says here is the patience of the saints. Here are they and now here, here is a descriptor of saints. When you are a saint this is you. If you are a saint. If you are not then you are not a saint. You are not God's saint. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they, the descriptor, that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Note that this comment comes in the context of the contrast of the marking of the beast, which is that prostitute system. And the contrast is that they do not accept the mark of this beast. What they do is they stand up for God's word and they are described as those who keep the commandments of God. Go down to Revelation 12. And uh, verse 7. Notice here 
the dragon representing Satan, was enraged with the woman representing the church. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep here are the people of the church of God who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. They not only testify Jesus Christ, they keep the commandments of God. The Bible makes this very, very easy for us so that we are not. What we are going to conclude with in this presentation is that the identifying mark of God's people in the end time are those who keep his commandments and the identifying mark of those who are not of God are a sect that God refers to as lawless. Lawless. You will see that the Antichrist is lawless. Is a lawlessness will prevail. And therefore, it's very interesting that this is coming full circle. Because this has been a big differentiator between all of the, the no matter how many Protestant churches you have, they have some things in common. They don't keep God's law. They, they believe it was abolished at the cross. They believe that these things were for Israel. That these things are not for today. That, that the grace has re- replaced God's law. And these things are fundamental teachings. Keeping the commandments of God is peculiar to the people of God. And it is a requirement of entering the kingdom of God. I want to make a qualifier, a bit of qualifier here, because I can see the question coming. One may, one may ask the question, so, Israel are noted to be people who keep the commandments of God. Yet, we know that Israel has not come to accept Jesus Christ as Savior Therefore, even though they keep the commandments of God, they are not as they are now qualified to enter the kingdom of God. But you see, the answer to that is the Bible makes it clear. The Bible makes it clear for us. The Bible has already explained that. So you go to Romans 11, And you'll see the whole teaching there on Israel. And God saying, look, these were the people that I started to work with. 
But for the sake of the Gentiles, I have blinded them. Because my plan is to bring in the Gentiles and he doesn't want Israel to boast. Therefore, he is, it is not until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in that he is going to reawake. But it is God's doing. It is not Israel's unilateral refusal. It is God's doing for blinding. So God makes it clear, I am the one who has done that. So that's not an argument that can be raised because the scriptures make it very clear. But you look at Revelation 22 and verse 14 and you are seeing for yourself I do not know why it is so difficult. Well, I do know why it is so difficult because it's God who opens the mind. Therefore, we don't blame those who have not yet come to accept. We don't blame them. And we don't condemn them either. Because as, as Pastor Murray explained this morning, and showed that look, each in his own turn, there is a turn coming for the many, for all the Catholics, for all the Presbyterians, for all the, the, the Baptists, for all. We as a church do not condemn these people, we see them as people that God will call. And therefore, unlike they themselves, who are putting people into hell to be burnt forever and ever, who didn't come to know Jesus Christ, we are showing them the love of God. That God has no favor. Favoritism. He is dealing with all of humanity on a fair and equal basis. And therefore, this is what makes the gospel the gospel. This is what makes it good news. That even though we are here talking and we are showing that these people are not counted at this time among the people of God, we can also say that this does not mean that they are condemned. That is an exceptional thing. You don't hear that being preached anywhere else, except in the church of God. You don't go to any of the 33,000 denominations of Christianity, according to the World Encyclopedia of Religions. 33,000 denominations. You don't hear them teaching this. In fact, they say it's blasphemous for you to say that there's salvation after the grave. But here is the fact of the matter. <clears throat> that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That all should come to the knowledge of the truth. And that is, but look in verse, in verse 14 of Revelation 22. Let us say that you had an issue about the keeping of God's commandments. 
because it was given to Moses. And you are thinking that somewhere along the line, after Jesus came, all this was gone. But you come to the very last book of the Bible. And not only the last book, but the last chapter of the book. Chapter 22. Right? Is that the last chapter in Revelation? I think so. Chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. And look at this for yourself. You want to know? You want to differentiate? You want to understand? Blessed are they that do his commandments. The very end, because this is showing you now the people who are going to be entering his kingdom. Blessed are they that do his commandments. That they may have the right to the tree of life. Why are they keeping his commandments? That they may have the right to the tree of life. How can you be preaching and teaching that this is came to an end? The very la- just in case we didn't understand it. You come to the very last book. And this is what you're seeing. And may enter in through the gates into the city. The saints. So if anyone asks, talks about Christian and say, well, we are all Christians. Here's a way in which you can probably answer. You can say, you know what? Yeah. We're all Christians. But I belong to a category of Christians that the Bible calls the saints. Okay? I mean, I'm not in an argument whether you're a Christian or you're a Christian. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's what we all call ourselves Christians. But I belong to a category of Christians that the Bible calls the saints. What is so different? Well, the saints are those who keep the commandments of God. It's an important distinction. It's not the only thing. But it's a very important distinction. Jesus, in Matthew, speaking to the rich young ruler, made that very point. The question that was posed to Jesus is, how can I inherit eternal life? He didn't say, well, make sure you have the Holy Spirit. Although you have to have the Holy Spirit to, to, to have eternal life. But that's not what Jesus pointed to. He didn't point, make sure you're baptized. He did not point to that, although baptism is critical. He said to him, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Direct, a very direct answer. How can I get eternal life? Then why do you answer differently? Why is there, why are there so many other answers when Jesus is so direct? Why are we creating answers when the answer is already given by Jesus in the scripture? 
keeping the commandments of God is an identifying mark of a child of God. Is an identifying mark of a Christian. Keeping the commandments of God is an identifying. You want to know who are true Christians and how you differentiate. Turn with me to 1 John 5 verses 2 to 3. And please, if you have a yellow marker or a red marker or any color or just your blue ink, mark it again in your Bible. How can we escape something like this? Let's read it. You want to know. Don't you want to know who are the children of God? Okay. I hope I have the same kind of Bible that you have. Not necessarily the version. But I hope this is written in your Bible. Maybe in some other words, but with the same meaning. By this we know. Okay, you want to know, don't you? <laughs> Isn't it? Don't you say you want to know? Well, by this we know that we, we, we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. Because some people, you know, they say to us, Oh, I'm not into religion. I'm into relationships. Okay. So what's more identifying or in, uh, 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 what, what's a better identifier of a relationship than love? Okay. A relationship with God. So this is showing us. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And unlike what many people say that I am not into works and, and burdensome, whatever. He says, and his commandments are not grievous, or the word could be burdensome. It is not. The only time God's commandments becomes burdensome is when you are not a child of God. So we know. John 1, 5 to 3 is not the one I wanted you to, to, to underline anyhow, but you can mark that one. The one I really wanted you to underline is 1 John 2, verse 4. So, we're going to go there now. Because here for me is probably the plainest verse in the Bible that, that defies all of the arguments against the commandments of God. You, you know, you and I may not really have come home, it may not have come home to us sufficiently, how, how different, how it differentiates us, and how important it is, how critical it is, how much the Bible highlights it as central to being a Christian. Here's a blasphemous statement I'm going to make today because that's what many people say. People say, how dare you say that? How dare you say that? You're a bigot. Here is a statement. 
persons who do not keep the commandments of God are not God's people. What? Where, where did, you, did you come from? Who gave you that authority to say something like that? Here's the authority. Here's where it comes from. It's not something that I am assuming. First John 2 and verse 4. He who says, I know him. Because there are many who are saying, I know him. There are so many who are saying, I know him. Okay, you know him? All right. You know him. He who says, I know him. And does not keep his commandments. Is a liar. Please look in your own Bible. I I don't want to give the impression that these are my words. Is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Full stop. He who says, I know him. Don't we know a lot of people that say, oh, I have been a Christian for the past 20 years. You know what? There are God-fearing people in the world. Okay? Understand that. People who they have deference and they the firmly declares the glory of God. And I know that I don't exist by myself. And I know that there has to be a creator. There, there are these sensibilities that people will have and will know. But when you come to know him personally, not to know of him, but to know him, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. That is why when we preach the gospel, the commandments of God is preached. That's the difference between the gospel when it's preached by the church of God and when you hear, oh, come if you, you know, just say the sinner's prayer and come and go find a, the, the nearest Bible-believing church next door to you. That's not how it works. And in all of what we are saying, remember, we are not condemning anyone to say they will never have salvation That's the beauty about it. What we are saying is, this opportunity that you and I have, every single human being born of Adam and Eve, that Pastor Morris spoke about, every single human being from creation until the time that Christ returns, will have an opportunity for salvation. God is going to give it to them. So the call of God is not just us. So when we talk about many, that, that, you know, if we are chosen, if it is only chosen that Jesus died for, the fact is that God has only chosen one category of people so far. The ones he called the first fruits. That's the only category. But the purpose he has chosen the first fruits is because of his covenant with Abraham where he said to Abraham, through you I will bless all nations. 
and the manner in which he is going to bless all nations is for the first fruits to reign with Jesus Christ, to rule over the nations, to bring the nations to God. The reason you and I are called is not so much for us. We are beneficiaries of the call. But it's because of God's promise to the nations. Because before there was an Israel, there was the nations. When God made that promise to, the nation, to, to Abraham for the nations, Israel did not yet exist. Israel was a means for reaching the nations. Hence God would say, Israel was to be a light to the nations. And because Israel failed, out of Israel came Jesus Christ, who became that light that will be brought to the nations, that all nations will come to God. That's the beauty of the gospel. That is the gift of God to us. And that is why we cannot be wishy-washy. That is why we cannot be um, the uh, double-minded about this thing. We have to be very clear. We have to know who is a Christian and who is not. And if we do not represent it right, we are not representing Jesus Christ. If we go to people and tell them, oh, well, you are a Christian, you know, you are okay. You are, you are doing a great disservice to the work of Jesus Christ. I want to acknowledge that there are many sincere, dedicated people who are seeking to worship Jesus Christ. I want to acknowledge, as I know, because I, my father was a minister in the Sunday Keeping Church, the Assemblies of God it was called. And I know my parents, and I know the people. And I know that these people were not trying to deceive or, or to do... They were sincere. They wanted, they really wanted to know and to serve God. I know that. I know of people in, 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 in the, the churches, the Sunday keeping churches, that, that they live up to the, the fact of morality in ways that I wish I could see enough of in some circumstances within the church of God. So there is no, there's no doubt about the sincerity of people. Let us not question that. People's sincerity. Don't question that. What we are questioning is correctness. We are, we are, we are questioning whether what they do is in line with the truth of God. So they do worship and seek to worship Jesus Christ. And that is what Jesus was saying in Matthew 7, verses 6 to 8. He said, these people honor me with their lips. He didn't say he's honoring Buddha. Well, he didn't exist. Or he did up to that time, I think. Or the other gods. These people honor me, Jesus, he's speaking. These people honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. 
Why? Why why is he saying that? In vain do they worship me. They are not worshiping another God. They are worshiping Jesus Christ. But he's saying, even though you are worshiping me, your worship is in vain. Why? Why is it that I can be worshiping Jesus Christ and my worship is in vain? What, what sense does that make? But Jesus himself is saying it. So does he explain? Yes, he does. Here's the reason. Their teaching are but rules taught by men. In other words, they are using man-made rules and man-made traditions to worship Jesus Christ. Further explanation, verse 8. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. That is why when you are observing the man-made traditions of Easter and Christmas and all of the Sunday keeping and all the various things that are man-made traditions, you am not disacknowledging that you are you're, you're thinking you're, you're, you're sincere. I'm not disacknowledging that you are you're pointing your worship to Jesus Christ. I'm not disacknowledging that you mean well. All we're saying is, Jesus clarifies it for us. He says, you know what? When you do that, although you have good intentions, your good intentions is not what is going to make it happen. You have let go of the commands of God and you are teaching the traditions of men. And that makes a big difference. Matthew 7. Verses 22 to 23. We alluded to this, but let's read it. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name we cast out demons. And in your name we performed many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. So with all of the power, if you are not keeping God's law, I never knew you because you are worshipping me in vain. Your traditions are the traditions of men. You and I have to come to the view that we have more to do than just being a Christian. We have to be defenders of the faith. We have to be able to give an answer to those who ask us a reason for our faith. We have to step up to that other level. We have to be advocates for Jesus Christ. We have to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. We have work to do. That is why In Jude 3, you see Jude writing a letter to the church. And he had another idea. He had an idea to write to them about their salvation and the goodness of God and things of that nature. But he says, this was my intention to write to you. But it has occurred to me that there's something more urgent. It has occurred to me that there's something more important to say to you. 
And that is to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered unto the saints. The same faith that was delivered to Abraham, the same faith delivered through Moses, the delivered coming all the way through to the, the, the prophets, to John the Baptist, by Jesus, by the apostles, contend for the faith. Can I describe myself as a contender for the faith? Do I find myself in sufficient circumstances where the subject of my discussion is to defend the word of God? Am I that kind of a person? Do I, do I fit this description that is written about here? All of us, as the saints, we have to know that it is to us that God has given this gospel and we must defend it. We'll be finished in 10 minutes. Colossians 1.26 These saints, which is what you are, you are that category of Christians which the Bible calls the saints. It explains in verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now dis disclosed to the saints. That is why you know what you know. That is why there's so much that you know that is not being taught elsewhere. It is disclosed to the saints. To them, the saints, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery. To what extent are you a person who makes it a point of your duty to make the gospel known among those, the Gentiles, those who are not yet in the church? Because that's why God has given it to you. Second Corinthians 5, verses 9 to 20. We are, we are winding down. It is through the saints, those who keep the commandments of God, that God is making his appeal to the rest of mankind. Not through anyone else. Only through the saints. That is why Jews say, contend for the faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 19-20, it says, And he has committed to us, that is the saints, the message of reconciliation. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. His appeal. It, it, the appeal. God's appealing to other people is being done through us. This is active Christianity. Active. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 15. For we, referring again to the saints, are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So people must smell the aroma. The aroma of Christ. Feel the love of Christ. Feel the presence of Christ. Hear the word of Christ. 
See, as the song says, let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. You are. You've seen me, you've seen Jesus Christ. This is how Jesus said. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen me, you've seen Jesus Christ. Because I must operate and represent Christ in a manner that when others see me, they're seeing Jesus Christ. That is our role. These are important points to be recalled and to remember, and we must stand against them. So lawlessness is the other Christianity. So there are two kinds of Christianity. There are those that we explained who are the saints, and we have just gone through all of that. But lawlessness, Second Thessalonians 2, verses 7 to 12. We talk about the mystery revealed to the saints. Well, there's another mystery. Verses 7 to 12. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work from the time of the apostles. That is why um, Diotrephes was already throwing people out of the church. Lawlessness was already prevailing. It's not only today. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who knows, who now restrains, will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the workings of Satan. Look at, why does the Bible use the word lawless in all of this? It's because it's the opposite of what God's people are. They obey God's law. The coming of the lawless one is according to the work of Satan. With, with all power, signs, and, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. That they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. That they should believe a lie. And this is referring to those of us. Those of us who God has already given his truth, who will put up with it? Put up with the world's form of Christianity. Well, you don't love the truth. Well, here's the consequence for not loving the truth. God will cause a strong delusion to fall upon us. Where we believe a lie. In other words, we will be sincerely believing this lie. And that's such a sad state to be in. So false prophets are those who are lawless, those who do not believe that God's law is to be kept. And that is why Jesus now says in Luke 6 and verse 46, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. How are they deceiving them? And because lawlessness will abound, the love of men will grow cold. That's how the deception comes. Lawlessness. The carnal mind does not love the law of God, nor can it, says the scripture. So I just want to 
encourage you, brethren. The Christian walk is not just a walkover. It is a very determined way that needs endurance along the way. It's a path in which there are many obstacles. It is one that can you, in which you can become weary. But you know what? At the end of it, Jesus said, to him who endures to the end, he will give the right to sit with him on his throne. It is an enduring mission that you are on. You are going to have discouragements. You're going to feel times when, is it worth it? You're going to feel as though, well, let me think again whether I'm doing the right thing. All kinds of things. Because the prince of the power of the air will put all kinds of thoughts in our minds. But you know what? If we are resolute, and if we make up our minds now, and we understand all of this, then we will be victorious. Because we will not give any opportunity to Satan. And that's the only power that Satan has over you. Satan has no power over you. Except you give him the opportunity. Always remember that. Of his own, he's helpless. It is only when we give him opportunity that he's empowered to do things against us. May God bless you. May God bless the church of God. May God enrich us and, 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 and with his spirit and keep us focused that we seek first the kingdom of God and that we keep our minds stayed upon him and that we hunger and thirst after righteousness and that we will endure to the end. Amen. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.